Well, good morning, everybody. There we go. The mic's on now, so we'll, we'll have the, the podcast recording. Uh, I hope you guys had a great, uh, a great week. I don't know about you. I was very happy Friday morning when I woke up because I love snow, and I love the way it looks on the trees and on the ground and stuff before the plows come through and it gets all muddy and stuff like that, you know. <laughs> so I took... <laughs> My my wife wanted some pastries from over in a, at a bakery in Susquehanna, and I said, well, I'll go over and get them. So I had this gorgeous drive down East Lake Road, uh, seeing the light snow just on the trees and stuff, and it was gorgeous. And I understand the dangers and the not liking of the snow, but man, when it's fresh like that, doesn't it just remind you of God's handiwork so well, and that he does care and love for his creation so incredibly. It was just this beautiful little drive, 15-minute drive, whatever it is, 20, I don't know, over to, over to Susquehanna. So I was happy Wednesday. Uh, I know most of you will be happy again later this week when it gets back up into high temperatures for this time of year. Not high temperatures, but for this time of year. Uh, as my dad would say, it's great for the heating bill. So there we go. <laughs> Uh, I said last week, and I try to be a man of my word as much as I can, that we take a break from Ephesians. We've been looking at the first, we've been walking through Ephesians. We finished the second chapter last week, uh, and so next week we'll hop back into that. Um, but this week we're going to take a little break. And and for those of you that come to the men's Bible study, you're going to say, "Isn't this something that he talks about in the book a little bit?" It is. I said, wow, that's an incredible truth. I think we need to talk about it. So I am expounding upon it a little bit. So, did I get the idea from the sermon from a book I read? Yes, I did. But it's not exactly what it is. But here's the thing, right? We're going to be in Mark, as you can see up there. Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 45. And I want a show of hands. How many of you, and it better be everybody, because I have told you this. So if you were listening... How many of you have been told, oh, you need to be meek and you need to be humble and you need to be kind-hearted and, and gentle-spirited and stuff, right? Right? Exactly. That's really important. The problem is that most of the time, we equate that with not being great as well. We say to be humble and meek means I should not then be great. And that's not quite true. Let's read this story. We're in Mark chapter 10, 35 through 45. And most of you are probably going to know this story already. This, this passage is not like a parable. It's an actual thing that happened. Uh, but the part that's preached upon normally from this passage is not what I'm going to focus on today. Let's read it. Chapter 10, 35 through 45. It reads, James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, grant that we may sit, one on your right and one on your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? They said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink you shall drink and you shall be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. But to sit on my right or on my left, that is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. Verse 41. 
Hearing this, the ten began to feel indignant with James and John. Calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Let's break this down a little bit. Number one on your note sheets there. Number one on your note sheets. Ask to be great. Ask to be great. We pick up this story and James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, also referred to as the sons of thunder in other passages, come up to Jesus. They have the gall to come up to Jesus and go, grant us whatever we ask of you. Has anybody ever tried that with their parents? It doesn't go over well most of the time. If I walked up to my dad when I was young, or now, and said, grant me whatever I ask of you, his first response would not be, well, what is it that you want? It really wouldn't matter what I wanted. I probably am not going to get it at that point. But Jesus goes, right, he's right there in verse, 30, or in verse 36, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? He doesn't immediately tell them, no, I'm not going to do it. He doesn't reprimand them for being bold enough to ask. He says, what do you want me to do? Did Jesus know what they were going to ask? Probably. But what do you want? And they respond, let us sit, one on your right and one on your left, i.e., let us be great. And Jesus' response is not to go, no. His response is, can you handle it? That's what he asks. He goes, can you handle what it is to be great? Now, they don't realize that's what he's asking yet. Because if you said, Sam, let me be your second in command, and I responded with, can you drink of the cup that I drink and be baptized in my baptism? You'd be like, what the heck is this guy talking about? Remember, the 12 disciples, while smart, missed it a lot. And Jesus goes, can you handle what being great means? And James and John go, yeah, we could do it. Yeah, we could do it. And Jesus goes, you're right, and you will. But to sit on my right or my left, that's not mine to give. That's already been decided. I want to point out two things there under ask to be great, and they're written down. One, they are not reprimanded for asking to be great. Who's the one that reprimands them? The other ten disciples, we read in verse 41, not Jesus, not the one that they asked. They asked the right person. Now, did they ask out of the right heart? No, they didn't. I think if we read in that scripture and we know humans, we understand, no, they probably did not ask from the right mindset yet. They haven't been taught yet. But they're not reprimanded for asking to be great. Here's the thing, church. Inside all of us is a desire to be great. 
it gets pushed down, it gets smothered by sometimes by society, by our jobs, by our circumstances, by our family, by our friends, by ourselves. This desire innate to be great, we shove it down, but it's in there. Some of us may have been shoving it down for so long that we don't even recognize it anymore. And it allows us to sit there and go, no, I don't want to be great. No, you don't want to be in front of people. There's a difference. But you want to be great. We all want people to look at us and go, wow, look at them. They're doing something great. They are something great. We all have that in us. And the Bible does not say not to. That's put there by Christ, by God. That's put there for a purpose. The other thing I want to point out is that following Christ, becoming great, it comes with a price. It's a very, very heavy price. Way less of a price than what the world makes you pay for being great. But there's still a price. The cup that Jesus has to drink from. The baptism with which he is baptized. No, you do not have to be crucified and such. That's not what Jesus is saying there. But you will be persecuted. You will be hated. As it says in John, the world will hate them because it hates me and I am in them. You will have a price to pay to be great in the eyes of Christ, which is who we want to be great in. But don't be afraid to ask for that greatness. To say in your daily prayers, Father, help me to be great. Now, here's the thing, though. Number two, recognize what greatness is. Recognize what greatness is. In the following verses after that, in, uh, in, in 41 through 45 there, excuse me, I flipped one too many pages. These onion pages make it hard to flip sometimes. Jesus teaches them about what being great is. And he says in verse 42, so right, he hears, right, he hears all the other ten. They're mad at James and John. And Jesus goes, great, teaching moment. Come on. You know that those who are recognized, I'm in verse 42 here. You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. Worldly greatness, that's what he's talking about here. What the world will view as greatness. A lot of people that I know, including myself, like to be in charge. We like to be the one that's number one until we are number one and we realize that being number one is not all it's cracked up to be most of the time. But in the world, to be great, you are domineering and authoritative over people. How many times have you heard the sentence, you're going to do it because I'm the one in charge and I said to do it, or something like that? No, this is not the same sentence as, I'm the parent and you do as I say. I want to point that out. I've said it at times. No, I'm the one that's in charge, so we're going to do it this way. The amount of times that that goes horribly wrong is 100%. But to be considered great by the world, you hold it over other people. And you put others down. And then he says... 
That's not this way among you. Verse 43 here. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. To be great, you lift others up, not push them back down. And that's what greatness is. I want to give an example of true greatness that was brought to my attention just last week. And I knew about this, but I hadn't really thought about it. And I'm going to name a name because it's okay. I, I think that he's not going to hear it anyway. How many of you know a man named Dick Cook? He's a great man. And I mean that. He is great. You wouldn't know it if you were doing it by the world's idea. But this man has dedicated his life to leading other people. Specifically men. But to being that, to being that support. To leading and guiding men. When you come around him, you're just put at ease. He walks into a room and you just feel better. The only way I've been able to describe that is that he exudes that Christ-like love that we all should be exuding. He just seems to do it naturally. And if you asked him, he'd say, no, it's not natural. No, it's the... He would never take the credit because, again, he's a great man. Let me give you another example. Somebody who I know all of you will have at least heard of. He's passed away, but his name is, of course, Billy Graham. A man who has led thousands, probably, if not, let's be safe, we'll say hundreds, but I'm going to guess it's more than that, of people to Christ that has led and guided millions of people, literally. Yet he was a humble man, and he knew whom he served. Two men on opposite ends of the spectrum there. Nobody outside of this little town has ever heard of Dick Cook, and he's fine with that. But everybody's heard of Billy Graham, yet they still were, they were both great because they said, I'm going to be a servant. You see, that greatness in you is put there not to be worldly great, but to show God's greatness, what his definition of greatness is. And that's your number three there. God wants us to be great, but by his definition, not ours, by his definition of what it means to be great. I'll stand up here and I will tell you, I have a drive to be great. And I love to be in front of people. I've mentioned it before. I love country music. We, we know this. And there's a country song out there, and it talks about having a statue in your hometown when you're gone. And I'm like, man, that sounds like a great idea. I've already got it planned in my head, so if anybody ever wants to know, come and let me know, and I'll tell you, and then you can make sure that it's, 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 it's erected for me. I'd love to be remembered, but here's the thing. When I was... 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 years old. I wanted to be remembered for me, for who Sam was. Oh, he could sing, he could speak, he was this, he was that. I wanted to be known across the country. I wanted to be preaching. I wanted to be Billy Graham, but without the humbleness. And God said, Hold on, I want you to be great, but I've got a different plan for your greatness. I want you to be great in the town of New Milford, which has a thousand people in it, 
most of whom don't know your name. They know the name Brush, and that turns them off to you. But I want you to be great here and show my greatness. I want people, when they look at you, to say, wow, he's great because he follows Christ so wholeheartedly. Because he serves, because he gives of himself. Now here's the problem. There are still times we're almost done. I, want, I just want to lay out the roadblocks that can come to being great. Because we start down this path of, yes, I'm going to be humble, and I'm going to be meek, but I'm going to be great. And then we start focusing and going, yeah, I do put a little more in the offering plate than is necessary, don't I? I do stand outside when it's 20 degrees and below to pass out candy to kids, don't I? Wow, I'm pretty great, aren't I? Look at what I'm doing. And we've missed the mark again. We started out on the right path, but pretty quick we saw the other side and went, that looks like a good side, we'll go over there. God wants you to be great. Never deny yourself that. The world, yourself, your circumstances, the people around you will try to tell you you're not made for greatness. You are made for greatness, but you are made for his greatness and to reflect his greatness. It is not your greatness that matters. It's his. And when you're reflecting his greatness, you might end up like Billy Graham and the world knows your name. More likely, you'll end up like Dick Cook and hundreds of people know your name because you've spoken into their lives and been a part of them. You are still great. In fact, maybe even greater. Because you didn't get the accolades. You didn't get all of the big stuff, the shining lights. But you've shown God's greatness. Don't deny yourself greatness. Deny yourself pride. Deny yourself haughtiness. Be meek. Be humble. Do not be weak. Be great and be great for him. Would you pray with me? Father, we praise you this morning. We thank you that you give us this innate drive to be great, that you don't sit there and tell us, no, no, I don't want you to be great, but you tell us, I want you to be great by the real definition of greatness. Hollywood is fleeting. Uh, 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 Nashville, Tennessee, or anywhere else, New York City, it's all fleeting. The greatness that comes from being an actor or a, or a singer or a comedian or whatever it is, it's all fleeting. But the greatness that comes from following after you and saying, I'm going to be great for Christ. And because of Christ, that greatness stays and it's so much more fulfilling than anything else. Father, we praise you, and I ask that you would help us to stay meek and stay humble, but also to strive for that greatness. Father, we praise you, and it's in the name of your Son that we pray. Amen and amen.